Energy Transformed is a short podcast series brought to you from the team at Energy Insiders and Renew Economy, Australia's best informed and most read website focusing on clean energy, news and analysis. Energy Transformed is also brought to you by Ashurst, a progressive law firm offering global reach and insight combined with local market knowledge and understanding. Our uh, agenda is absolutely uh, ambitious. Uh, to, to achieve a 95% renewables target by 2035 means all coal generation is out. And the and 95% of our electricity uh, made here in Victoria will be coming from renewable sources. Hello and welcome to this Renew Economy podcast special. This is the last episode in a series begun um, just over a year ago, sponsored by Ashurst. It's the Energy Transform series. It was a series of webinars looking at net zero, looking at green capital, looking at the need for NEM reforms and a series of really interesting podcast interviews. And we're concluding this series with a minister right in the heart of one of the most remarkable transitions in Australia and indeed the world. It's the shift from brown coal to green energy in the state of Victoria, of course. Um, They have the most ambitious legislated target in Australia of any states. It's 95% by 2035. That's going to require more than 20 gigawatts of new wind and solar. It's going to require probably the first offshore wind projects in Australia, and it's also going to require more than six gigawatts of energy storage. And just to go with that, it's going to require a big rewrite of the rules and a rethink about the way the grid is managed, particularly because of Victorian Labor government's decision to bring back the SEC, the State Electricity Commission, and having a government-owned player front and centre in the market. What does this mean? Well, as part of this... uh, uh, last episode to end this series, um, Ashurst partner Kylie Lane last week interviewed Victorian Energy Minister Lily D'Ambrosio. And let's have a listen. Well, Minister, it was a very busy 2022, uh, particularly with the announcements leading into the state election. Um, One in particular that really caught the attention of the market and the public more generally was the commitment to bring back the SEC in Victoria. This continues to be of huge interest to every stakeholder in the market. And and we saw the announcements on 22 December last year of Chris Miller as the interim CEO and John Bradley as chair of the expert advisory panel. Really interested in hearing about what you want to see from the Commission over the next 12 months and and when we can expect some further announcements about the operating model and the members of the advisory panel. Yeah, well, thank you, Kylie. And uh, look, bringing back the SEC is absolutely uh, an exciting part of our government's agenda for this term in government. And we know that, and we've heard very loud and clear from uh, Victorians that Uh, investing uh, state-owned profits uh, back into Victoria through ownership of uh, some of our uh, generation fleet is really something that Victorians are absolutely proud of and want us to do. And that's about making sure that uh, the benefits that are going to be generated and, in fact, are being generated right now through our government's very robust and ambitious uh, renewable energy programs uh, actually uh, are able to be shared Uh, back into the Victorian community, creating more jobs, creating more renewable energy projects, putting downward pressure on uh, power bills uh, and, of course, uh, decarbonising our electricity system. So it is very exciting days. Uh, We haven't been in the uh, business of public ownership of energy now for a number of decades since the great Jeff Kennett uh, failed experiment going back into the 90s. uh, But we promised, of course, that we're bringing it back. Uh, both as an active energy market participant and to build new renewable energy projects, and we're not wasting a day getting that done. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, it certainly did capture the public's um, imagination. Uh, it, as you said, Victoria hasn't been in the in this space for for quite a number of years, and it, we you know appreciate that it will take some time to um, set up the SEC for success, um, and then once once you have that that sort of operating cadence in place, you know, then start to make some of those decisions. Do you have any sense of when we are likely to hear more about 
um, you know, the, the team and the operating model going forward, Minister? Well, absolutely, and, and you're correct that, uh, you know, we can't do this overnight and we need to set it up uh, to work and to work well from day one, but we are taking certain steps in the short term to make it happen as soon as possible. Uh, and, of course, we have, of course, uh, uh, appointed an interim CEO, Chris Miller, who comes with fantastic expertise. As you mentioned, John Bradley uh, chairs the uh, expert advisory panel, uh, and they'll be put in place very soon. Uh, and we'll have the structures and capabilities in place to progress our work across a number of key focus areas. Uh, and, of course, that is making sure, number one, that we get the operating model right, uh, that we create career pathways and jobs for uh, our Victorians. We re-establish a presence in the Latrobe Valley, uh, building an investment pipeline and protecting the future of the SEC through uh, incorporating it in the uh, Victorian constitution. These are all uh, areas of key focus for us, and we'll certainly have more to say very soon uh, in terms of the evolution and the uh, implementation. Uh, Minister, just um, just picking up on the sort of enthusiasm for the SEC, many many of the market participants, investors, funds, existing generators, um, developers are really keen to see how they can partner with your government through the SEC. Do you have any initial thoughts on what a great partnership should look like, taking into account the government's objectives? Well, look, this is going to be really critical, of course. We are very keen to partner with like-minded uh, investors out there uh, that are committed, of course, to investing in Victoria, uh, decarbonising our electricity system and creating fantastic jobs for Victorians. So uh, certainly superannuation Funds managers are an important element in this, but they're not the only ones. So uh, we've already had uh, a lot of interest coming into uh, our department uh, in, since the election, and uh, we're working our way through all of that very diligently to make sure that we get the right operating model uh, and ensuring, of course, that uh, there's good opportunity there for uh, those partnerships to be formed and to be formed very early. Mm. And do you think, Minister, that the, the, are you proposing any sort of formal consultation on the operating model and the, the forms of partnership? Well, look, certainly the operating model, uh, we need to get that right. That That's a key focus here. We need to be really clear on what the SEC's mandate is and operating model. And we're exploring several exciting options. And we want to make sure, of course, that the broader market is very clear and has the certainty that it needs about what the SEC will do and uh, and the areas that it won't potentially uh, be involved in. And that's to, make, that's to make sure, of course, that we continue to get those investments coming in from the private sector, whether it's in partnership with the SEC or indeed continuing the standalone investments that have been happening in Victoria for a number of years. The reality is this, we've got a massive uh, world-leading agenda and certainly nation-leading agenda in terms of uh, the renewable energy that we need to have built in Victoria by 2035. And certainly the SEC will play a major role in delivering that, but it won't be the only player and we'll need many other private investors, investors to continue to invest uh, what has been record amounts of money in Victoria now uh, for a number of years. We need that to continue. Mm, yep. And are you, is it, is it too early at this stage to give us a flavour of what those different operating models might look like or, well, you know, when? Well, certainly what we need to do is uh, work closely with that expert advisory panel. Uh, the SEC will consider all options to ensure, of course, that Victorians ultimately benefit from the SEC's investments in renewable energy generation and storage for that matter. Uh, so options can include uh, partnering uh, with uh, an ethical retailer, for example, uh, remaining in the wholesale market only is an important element. That's, you know, that's a consideration. Or indeed exploring how retail activities could support Victoria's transition to cleaner energy. So I think the point here is that all options are on the table, uh, but uh, our first uh, principles in terms of what we will be delivering in the first instance, of course, is what we're committed to in the election, and that is to deliver four and a half thousand megawatts of new build generation, uh, and that will be built certainly uh, over the next few years. So that that's certainly what we've already publicly committed to, that it will be our first priority, but we're exploring a number of different uh, options that either could be uh, part of 
uh, the first stage of investments or decisions made by the SSC or could indeed form a part of a second stage or a third stage. So the SSC is going to be here for good. It's going to be enshrined in the uh, Victorian Constitution, so it's going to be here for the long term. We're setting it up uh, and it will be set up for success uh, and it could very well morph into a variety of other types of activities within the market that are part of this exploratory process. And just just picking up, Minister, on the the comment about the need that you know the massive investment needed to to reach the ninety five percent renewable energy target for Victoria by twenty thirty five, which which is a very ambitious target. What what are the um, you know we we've certainly seen offshore wind needing to being seen as playing a major part in achieving that target, and you know really exciting to see the announcements around declaration of the Gippsland offshore um, wind zone um, with Minister Bowen. So, you know, good steps there. But the reality is that the pace of transformation in Australia will have to be, you know, nothing like what we've seen in any market to date, you know, to help reach those targets. So I guess from your perspective and your department's perspective, what, what can we learn from what's worked in other markets to ensure that Victoria can meet that challenge efficiently and, and in the time frame you're looking for? Well, you're right. Uh, our uh, agenda is absolutely uh, ambitious. Uh, to, to achieve a 95% renewables target by 2035 means all coal generation is out and 95% uh, of our electricity uh, made here in Victoria will be coming from renewable sources. So if you, if you contextualise it in terms of, well, how many megawatts do we actually need to have built? Well, between now and 2035, we will need... Uh, 17 gigawatts of onshore power, uh, new generation being built, four, plus four gigawatts offshore. Uh, that's a total of 21 gigawatts to be built uh, here in Victoria by 2035. And we need at least 6.3 gigawatts of storage capacity. Now, if you put it another way, in Victoria alone, we need to build double the installed capacity of wind and large-scale solar that's already currently now existing in the NEM. That's basically running hot every year. But we know Victoria can do it. Uh, modelling that we've done in terms of uh, that, that informed our 95% renewable electricity target by 2035 tells us that we can do it. Uh, the hottest year that we had uh, in terms of um, the build of renewable energy Victoria was achieved, uh, but we need to replicate that on average, on average, uh, every year between now and 2035. Uh, and that means, of course, clearing the way in terms of having all of that important transmission uh, network uh, being built. But we've got the plans in place and we're going to have legislation uh, that will uh, take us to, to really give that investor confidence uh, to, to ensure that uh, they know that Victoria, in Victoria, they've got a government that is absolutely committed uh, to these targets and meeting them, but also, of course, ensuring that we've got uh, a really good uh, market environment for that investment to flow through. And we can see that already. We know that Victoria is going to be leading the country, being the offshore wind energy capital for the country. Uh, we've got amongst the best uh, offshore wind energy resource globally, uh, and of course the best in the country. So we will get there. Uh, every uh, target that we've committed to in Victoria, we've uh, more than met, uh, and these future targets will be no different. Yeah, I, I mean those numbers are staggering, and and um, that, that you know I think that's that they are what they are. Um, that's where we need to to be to reach the twenty thirty five target. Just just picking up on a few sort of issues that fall out of that, Minister. I mean, firstly transmission. So we saw the announcements on um, VNI West, um, which you know I know was um, you know very very well received in terms of providing the sort of certainty that the government's been looking for on transmission. But what 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 else in the context of transmission? What are you know the networks and AEMO telling you about whether it is possible to get that bill done um, to meet the 2035 target? Well, these are all possible. The fact is we haven't uh, landed on uh, our targets without actually understanding the full array of uh, infrastructure that needs to be in place to be able to achieve those targets. I mean, you can't set your targets uh, uh, however ambitious you want to be, without knowing that you're actually going to be able to have projects that can connect up to transmission, that can take uh, power from the point where it's uh, generated to the point that it's consumed. 
Uh, and that is why we similarly have worked, uh, put in a lot of effort to develop a, a framework for transmission infrastructure build. Uh, and we've already had uh, uh, discussion papers out there uh, for communities and investors to, to contribute towards. Uh, we'll be releasing our transmission investment framework uh, in the coming uh, weeks. Uh, and of course, we do have uh, a partnership with the Commonwealth Government uh, that will ensure that these projects that need to be built, the ones that we identify in terms of transmission, actually get on and do it. One of the big criticisms that I've had now for a number of years is that, uh, and it's not a criticism of AEMO, it's just uh, a criticism of the fact that our, our system of planning and uh, right across uh, the NEM uh, has not uh, responded to the growing needs uh, that are now with us. And that means, of course, that when we make a decision about when projects need to be built, we actually stick to those decisions, lock them in, lock in those dates and just get on and get it done. Uh, and that's uh, exactly what we're doing with the announcement that uh, we made with the Commonwealth in terms of uh, uh, that VNI West, of course, being a major uh, infrastructure build that we need to get done by 2028 to 29. AEMO is absolutely on board with that and uh, we're going to be taking uh, further steps very soon uh, to make sure that that work is up and running and we've got the transmission in place uh, to be able to have these big projects, this big uh, agenda of reform uh, and investment uh, for these projects to be able to move with confidence to build, knowing that they're going to be able to connect and take the power from where it's generated to where it's consumed. Mm. And just, just following that along, I mean, we, we certainly have seen um, much better and stronger cooperation between the federal and state governments over the last sort of six to eight months, um, which, you know, I think is very helpful from providing certainty. What more do you want to see? Um, you know, what more do you think could be done to to um, provide the market and, and you know, states and, and the federal government sort of more generally um, the certainty that it needs? What Do you think there's further changes that could be made to to reduce or mitigate the risks that you identify in terms of time split, slippage for major projects? And, and I guess sort of following that, you know, what sort of private sector collaboration um, minister are you looking for to try and try and help support that, that sort of transmission pathway? Well, I think it's what's important here is that finally we have uh, all of the key jurisdictions collectively agreeing uh, on a need uh, to uh, make decisions. And, and move, lock those in and, and make a move towards achieving the outcomes that we need. Uh, and that, that is something that was lacking for about nine years nationally, uh, which meant effectively Victoria was uh, doing uh, the heavy lifting on its own and we never shied a moment from that because we knew that it was important and we had a, a very clear set of uh, objectives around emissions reductions, uh, creating the new energy supply that we needed to keep power prices down, getting those jobs happening and of course reducing power bills. Uh, but now, of course, we know, we've got an acknowledgement, uh, we've got an agreed set of uh, work programs uh, to build the infrastructure of transmission, uh, to develop up those renewable energy zones and permissionings through a federal framework. Uh, and that complements, of course, uh, Victoria's own renewable energy zone uh, investments. We've invested more than half a billion dollars uh, in uh, getting more capacity being able to be connected across our six renewable energy zones, and that money's flowing right now. Um, so uh, the next steps really uh, at a national level are about the jurisdictions working to uh, consolidate the effort, uh, having really clear roadmaps of where all of the major transmission infrastructure needs to be built, uh, how it is that uh, we can uh, free up the opportunities for more renewable energy to be built, uh, keeping in mind, of course, the importance of social licence, um, but making sure that we have uh, a very clear focus on creating those jobs also, creating the skills and the opportunities. And that's why uh, in Victoria with offshore wind, uh, we've uh, struck also an agreement with the Commonwealth that we would be working uh, very strongly together uh, across the state and the Commonwealth uh, in terms of streamlining where we can, uh, approvals that are needed to get the offshore wind energy uh, built here in Victoria. And that's working quite well right now. Uh, and we'll certainly be having more to say uh, in terms of uh, our uh, statements to the market about uh, the work towards achieving 
uh, first power for offshore wind here in Victoria. We've got big commitments, we've got big targets, uh, but working together, working through ways of streamlining approvals. Uh, again, it's not about cutting out uh, important community consultations, it's about enhancing that, uh, but also making sure that where we can streamline approvals processes, we can do that ultimately in a way that delivers these projects sooner. The sooner we can get them delivered, uh, the sooner we can have uh, the benefits of uh, downward pressure on power prices delivered, uh, the jobs that we can create, the local supply chains that we can create here in Victoria, means that Victoria absolutely is in the driver's seat when it comes to at least being uh, the country's capital for offshore wind energy development and supply chain and the jobs and the skills that go with it. Mm. I mean, I think that, you know, from my perspective as, um, as you know, a partner, at us just in the in the legal space, Minister, you know, that streamlining of approvals and also providing certainty and transparency on what the requirements are is very much something that proponents um, will be looking to. And you know, in my experience, that will encourage more applicants um, and, and more um, serious players to be interested because you know that is an area that introduces, as you know, huge uncertainty um, and risk and and that always increases cost and increases time uh, and reduces the, the sort of competition. So I think, you know, strong inroads in that space will be really important for delivering in the time frame that you're looking for. Um, the, the other side of this, um, there's a couple of other sides of this, this discussion, and, and one I, I think is, you know, really looking at the supply chain constraints and, and also the jobs required to, to deliver this program. And, and I know that with the announcement of the SEC, um, you know, and I think one of the aspects of that, that, it, you know, again, that was popular and, and sort of resounded in terms of need in the community was, um, you know, the big jobs training program, um, bringing back the apprentices. You know, I've, I've got old friends who were some of the last apprentices in the old SEC. Uh, and so it'd be interesting to hear about your thoughts on, just the scale of that and, and the time to bring those sorts of skills to market? And, and is there a concentration on, you know, particular skills and jobs needed in the offshore wind industry in particular? Well, the ECC absolutely would be a major driver of the development of the supply chain and skills and training here in Victoria. And, and you will know, your listeners will know uh, that uh, the SEC uh, will play a really critical role uh, in ensuring that we get those 59,000 jobs created here in Victoria as part of our renewable energy big build, and uh, and we'll be delivering 6,000 apprenticeships and traineeships uh, through the SEC. Uh, now the thing is, the beauty of this is that uh, the SEC uh, Centre of Training Excellence, is, which is uh, what uh, we're, we've uh, is a part of our government's broader $424 million investment package. Uh, that was announced uh, late last year, uh, that will be a key supplier uh, of skills and training, not just, of course, for the four and a half megawatts of new build that we've initially committed to as a government that the SEC will, will have in its uh, uh, asset portfolio, uh, but this is about, of course, skilling up all of those people, all of those new apprentices and, and trainees to be able to move to a whole range of different projects that are going to be built across uh, Victoria and indeed across the country, whether it's uh, you know skills uh, uh, in offshore wind energy development, uh, of course on onshore is 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 what we know now, but certainly offshore wind is going to be a critical part of that development. And to train these new workers, uh, that uh, training uh, that centre of training excellence uh, is going to uh, uh, really be important uh, for the SEC to coordinate accredited and accredit courses in clean energy and connecting out with our TAFEs, our uh, RTOs, our unions and industry, and of course, as well as adding clean energy to the VCE vocational major. So you can start to see that we are already absolutely committed to um, providing fantastic opportunities, not for just for those people who are already in the industry that want to move across to new energy technologies, but those young people that right today are in primary school, uh, the ones who have not even been born yet, but those in primary school, secondary school, uh, that will have for the first time in decades or the only time in their lifetime, the opportunity to get that training and those skills development through a government-owned entity, which will set them up for life. Because we know that 
the work of decarbonising our energy system is simply going from strength to strength. It's going to need to happen over a number of decades uh, uh, because it's not just, of course, about electricity, but it's also decarbonising our fossil gas sector. So you can start to see how the SEC will be an absolute key driver uh, of all of this. Now, the supply chain that you mentioned, uh, certainly we know that globally the focus on creating uh, uh, or building offshore wind energy is really gone up uh, to the next level. And that's certainly putting a lot of pressure on our supply chain uh, and opportunities for, for Australia and Victoria in particular to be able to uh, get sufficient supply chain uh, built uh, in our state to be able to uh, deliver on our targets. But this is why it's really important uh, that uh, the architecture, the frameworks that we're putting in place right now sends a really strong signal to the global investment market that uh, Victoria, here in Australia, is going to be the place of choice uh, for investment, knowing that they're going to have, they have and will have a partner in government that is absolutely committed to this, putting our money where, it's, uh, where our mouth is, uh, having the SEC in place uh, and having uh, all of the uh, infrastructure uh, built and frameworks for delivering on that uh, through a streamlined set of processes involving Commonwealth government where that's important. So all of this uh, is really setting up our ecosystem to be a very fertile one uh, and a very attractive place for investment. Mm. And just in the, I mean, we've we've seen some announcements by, you know, very large global energy players who who are turning their attention to and have announced, um, you know, strong interest in expanding their renewables platforms in in Australia. Some of whom are also looking into offshore wind. I mean, has is 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 the sense that, that there will be benefits to Victoria in some of that knowledge transition at the more experienced level um, with the, you know, the, I guess the, the nuts and bolts jobs um, perhaps coming from more on the ground and, and a gradual transition over time to skilling up in this industry? What, what are the sorts of conversations you've been having with, with some of those potential um, proponents here? Well, with any nascent industry, which is what uh, the offshore wind energy industry uh, is is that you've got to start from somewhere and, and where you start from is the beginning. <laughs> so that means, of course, uh, mapping out what are the skills that we've got right now, uh, what are the skills that we will need in, say, five years' time, what are the skills that we need in two years' time and what will we need in the longer term and uh, for the jobs. And the jobs will be different. Uh, the jobs that we'll need, say, uh, in the next five years will be different to the ones that we'll need in 10 years' time or 15 years' time. Uh, once we've got a, an offshore wind energy industry that is well established uh, and is actually fully operational, uh, then the, 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 the types of skills and jobs can be different. So we absolutely know that. And to not accept that and to realise that means that you're not going to get to where you need to go because you're being unrealistic. So we absolutely understand uh, that in some respects we will need to uh, bring in some skills uh, that exist in uh, the offshore wind energy industry that already exist in some of the countries. So we'll need to be able to learn uh, from that. And that's why uh, the SEC will play a really important role uh, in being able to uh, help us make those connections but also, of course, our Office, office of Offshore Wind Energy uh, will play a critical uh, one uh, door into government uh, for uh, supply chain businesses so that we are able to uh, understand the skills that we need to bring in to share amongst our, uh, our Victorian uh, base, if you like, uh, Victorian uh, workforce, uh, and those that can be transitioned and skilled up so uh, we've got a clear eye to all of that and certainly we'll be uh, keeping the market updated through our uh, updates, our implementation statements for offshore wind. We had the first one go out uh, late last year and we'll be doing those uh, uh, updates to the market uh, regularly uh, so the market can continue to inform us of the development of particular uh, work streams uh, that need to be in place so that we can actually get that first offshore wind development and first power done uh, to meet our timelines. So there's going to be a lot of fever, feverish work happening uh, right now and, and over and uh, into the next five years for offshore wind. Yeah, and just, just rounding that out on the on the jobs, because I think, um, you know, it is a really important 
component of the broader benefits that might flow to, to the Victorian um, people and economy from this. Is the intention that the Centre of Excellence will be based in the Latrobe Valley? Have, have decisions been made on that at this well, stage? Well, what we've decided and, and have announced is that there will be an office of the SEC in Morwell. It will be at the Victorian Government Hub when we've already uh, made that announcement. Um, but the SEC uh, won't only exist uh, in the Valley. Of course, uh, the SEC, uh, I mean, it is absolute right and uh, for us to have a presence uh, in the Latrobe Valley because uh, the Latrobe Valley uh, was the home of uh, our energy industry uh, and it will continue to play a really vital part and an integral part of our new energy future. And that is why we've got that office uh, of the SEC that will be in Morwell, uh, which is fantastic. But of course, the SEC uh, will be considering investments right across our state. Uh, and so uh, it is important, of course, that we also have the SEC uh, with a, a broad focus across our state. Uh, and uh, the types of projects that it could potentially invest in uh, will become uh, uh, clearer uh, as we work over the next uh, months to be able to ascertain what are the first order priorities of projects that we could look at uh, investing through the SEC. Hmm. Maybe, maybe just um, it's been an interesting discussion, and we'll I think you know continue to keep a very close eye, Minister, on the announcements that are made in relation to the SECV. But you know, energy production is just one part of the carbon emissions story in Victoria. So perhaps just changing track slightly. Should we expect more decarbonisation policy in other areas in terms of um, driving electrification of households, transport, businesses? Well, of course, uh, and certainly uh, Victoria was the first jurisdiction nationally uh, to uh, publish a gas substitution roadmap. And it's absolutely, it, it is about doing what it says uh, we want to do, and that is substitute out uh, fossil gas for clean energy. Uh, and why are we doing that? Now, this is not going to be uh, an easy uh, course for us to take as a state. Uh, people may or may know, not know that uh, our, all of Victoria's energy system, uh, from uh, power generation through to uh, the use of fossil gas, we have been the most carbon intensive energy system in the country, the most carbon intensive. And now why is that? Well, one, uh, we relied heavily uh, and almost solely on brown coal to create our power. Uh, brown coal is the most carbon intensive coal that you can find in the globe. Uh, uh, on the side of gas uh, and fossil gas, Victoria's reliance on gas for heating especially uh, is the highest in the country. We are the highest consumer of fossil gas. So when I say to you that uh, uh, we're leading in terms of uh, decarbonisation of electricity, uh, and we're serious certainly about moving into decarbonising fossil gas, uh, our reliance on fossil gas, uh, we're actually biting off uh, a big chunk of what we need to do to meet our net zero emissions by 2045. Uh, and the job is massive, but we're up for it. Uh, and we're up for it uh, because we're serious about uh, our commitments to climate, uh, we're serious about uh, helping uh, every Victorian from the most vulnerable to the most well-off, including businesses and industry, uh, on the pathway to decarbonisation because we know that early movers and governments that invest in this uh, will help uh, to be able to ensure that we can take every Victorian with us uh, so that we don't have people falling off uh, the edges of it uh, as we move to decarbonise. We have to do it in a way that is fair that has got justice in the centre of it and helps everyone be a part of the future. Getting those jobs in clean energy, decarbonising in a way that Victorians uh, can get the benefits of that through cheaper power bills, cheaper uh, gas bills. So um, we're absolutely committed to that. We, uh, we committed last year to reviewing our gas substitution roadmap this year. We'll be doing that and we'll be having more to say on the uh, the electrification uh, agenda uh, and uh, and what that could look like in Victoria in the coming years. Yeah, and Minister, just uh, it's a really important point you make about um, 
uh, I think, equity effectively for consumers, ensuring that, you know, all consumers um, are able to benefit from this journey and lower prices. Because what, what, we've, what we've often seen is the, you know, the sort of solar storage, batteries, et cetera, have involved a relatively high upfront cost. And so that necessarily is a challenge for some of our consumers in Victoria. So what what's what what are your thoughts and the government's plans on sort of how we guarantee that all consumers will be able to benefit from lower prices and more um, the developments in this space and and not just those at the higher end of the income curve? Well, absolutely, and and we're already doing that. Uh, when 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 having a look at how we can. Uh, get every Victorian to feel a part of and enjoy the benefits of decarbonising our electricity uh, system, uh, you have to look at our solar homes program. We committed $1.3 billion at the 2018 election uh, to uh, assist uh, Victorians earning up to $180,000 to be able to get solar panels on their roof, their own power generation, at virtually no upfront cost, uh, not just through a rebate, uh, but a matching uh, l- no interest loan, and a uh, majority of Victorian, uh, a significant portion of Victorians who are going for the rebate are also going for the loan. It's no interest paid, which means that they're actually saving money uh, uh, from the change uh, virtually from day one, uh, and getting uh, renewable energy into their homes. Uh, we're doing that with uh, battery uh, rebates. We're doing that with. Uh, Hot water systems. Uh, just the other day, uh, I announced that um, that uh, from a change that we made last year, where we uh, uh, improved the eligibility criteria for people to be able to get two rebates, so they can get a rebate for their solar panel and a hot water system. We've we've seen the uptake of rebates for uh, renewable hot water systems quadruple uh, in the period of more than six, just over six months. Uh, in fact, you know, Victoria leads the country in the installation of solar hot water systems and heat pumps combined. Uh, that tells you a lot about the assistance, how well targeted it is. But of course, we need to do more than that. Uh, you know, our uh, savings for uh, we're actually changing our Victorian Energy Upgrades program. That's our um, that white certificate program that uh, we've had in place for energy efficiency for a number of years in Victoria, very, very successful, the largest of its kind in, in the country, working really well to put downward pressure on people's bills, but also given the opportunity uh, to get rebates off uh, those new appliances, uh, moving to more energy efficient appliances. Well, as part of our gas substitution roadmap last year, I announced that we will be removing incentives for gas appliances from that VEU program. So the only uh, items that will be, the items that will be supported through that rebate scheme, that white certificate scheme, will be uh, those that support uh, clean energy, renewable energy, and moving away from gas. And this will mean that there will be more products that will be available at more discounted prices uh, for Victorians to move into uh, more affordable substitution for gas hot water systems for uh, with heat pumps and uh, or indeed uh, uh, electric, uh, high efficiency electric uh, hot water systems. So we know that hot water uh, is the biggest uh, consumer of gas in a person's home in Victoria. Uh, that just tells you how reliant we've been for decades now on fossil gas and what we need to do uh, to be able to help Victorians move away from that as an option for them. Mm, I think a, a number of us remember the um the uh, aftermath of the explosion a number of years ago, Minister, where we a lot of us had cold showers for, for some weeks. So That's I right. think, you know, gas hot water is, is has very much been part and parcel of Victorian homes for, for decades. Just, just on that is, I, I know historically, I don't know whether this has changed or not, um, that it was a requirement for new builds that they be connected to the gas um, system. Is that something your government's looking at or...? Well, well, in terms of this substitution? We've already uh, taken action here through our gas substitution roadmap. Uh, we announced that uh, uh, all new uh, builds would have the option of being connected to gas or not, or new developments. Uh, up until that change, uh, there was no choice for Victorians. Uh, volume builders uh, with new developments had to have uh, reticulated gas 
uh, installed in the development. So people were already paying for that cost uh, before they even, uh, in, as part of moving into their new home, whether or not they chose to have gas appliances or not. Uh, so that rule has changed, thankfully, uh, and we already uh, can see that there are some volume builders out there that are now, right now, offering uh, all electric housing developments. And it's a choice for people. Uh, but we know that as more and more people uh, understand the benefits of going all electric in terms of uh, reduced bills uh, that are with them every single day, uh, and of course, uh, the, the potential health benefits of it uh, and the assistance that it creates for uh, meeting our emissions reduction targets. I think more and more Victorians will be having those conversations uh, amongst their friends, within their families about uh, which way to go. And uh, so, and that's, I think, a really healthy thing because we do, the, uh, an important element of being successful in decarbonising our energy system is for communities to feel that they understand what the options are for them and the benefits for them. And then, of course, uh, Victorian governments acting uh, to assist them in making those choices uh, that are good for the economy, uh, good for jobs, good for bills, and, of course, good for creating jobs and reducing our emissions. And that's exactly the approach that we've taken as uh, in the Victorian government here with decarbonising the electricity system. People want solar. People want batteries. People want to be able to move to heat pumps or electric uh, solar hot water systems. Uh, they know it's going to reduce their bills. Uh, it's great for jobs and, of course, great for our environment. Yeah, and it'll be interesting, Minister, to see whether, you know, the some of us who've got those horror memories of the terrible electric um, ovens and stoves um, back from years ago, the sorts of conversations you have around, you know, new products, new technologies, the improvements and and um, you know, make that switch, make that switch to fully electric households. Yeah. I'm conscious of of your time here. I think you know, just one last question, if I can. Um, I mean, even in the most sort of sedative times, it's hard to predict where we'll be in 12 months. And um, you know, the the pace of movement in this sector, as you've described, is enormous. So harder to predict than normal. But from your perspective. What, what do you think your constituents will want to see from you and, and the Andrews government come this time in 2024? What, what would success look like for you, Minister? Well, what's going to be important for us is uh, we, uh, if, you, if you look at it through uh, an emissions frame, uh, we've made a commitment during the election uh, to bring forward our emission, uh, net zero emissions target to 2045. Uh, that's going to be a significant, ambitious uh target, but we know we can do it and we will do it. Um, but uh, what's really going to be critically important here is uh, for Victorians to feel that the government's on their side. Uh, the government's on their side when it comes to um, uh, helping them to reduce the cost of living pressures when it comes to energy. I mean, we've got a, a war on the other side of the world uh, that has meant that our the price of gas here in Australia and in Victoria has gone through the absolute roof. Uh, and the ones who are making are getting the benefit of that is not ordinary Victorians or ordinary Australians. It's the big gas producers that are making an absolute killing. They are making obscene profits uh, for uh, gas, domestic gas, uh, that we've got plenty of supply for because they're choosing to export it. Uh, for those obscene profits and passing it on here to Australians at that rate. Uh, I think Victorians know that uh, the Victorian government is on their side and not on the side of gas producers. Uh, the opposite can be said of our opponents in the last state election campaign just two months ago. And indeed, they're still talking up that they're on the side of gas producers. Uh, their answer is not to help Victorians reduce their uh, gas bills or power bills, uh, by ensuring that uh, we have uh, uh, those prices brought down through market caps, caps on those prices, and indeed helping people to electrify, uh, because ultimately that is the best way you can keep downward pressure on your prices. Uh, but uh, their solution is to go and um, explore for more gas that really we know doesn't exist. Uh, thank you very much, Minister. I do hope that you uh, you did manage a, a couple of breaks, a couple of weeks break over the um, the festive season, because 
you know, with all that we've discussed and the challenges that you've highlighted and, and the ambitious approach um, that you and your colleagues uh, have for the year ahead, I think it'll be a very busy year ahead for you. And um, I thank you very much for your time today speaking with us. And that was Victorian State Energy Minister Lily D'Ambrosio. Um, Kylie Lane is uh, back on the recording with me. Kylie, uh, well done. I think it was your first um, effort into the podcast world, but um, great interview. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Giles. I, I did. And, you know, I think we, we learned a, a couple of things there, but um, uh, as always, uh, more questions um, than answers, I think, and it, it, it's certainly going to be interesting as we see things unfold. Yeah. Well, what, what did you learn from that? I mean, um, not much in specifics there, but did we sort of edge a bit closer to the way that the Victorian government is thinking about these key things? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, I mean, some of the, um, you know, comments about the potential investment models and the potential to partner with an ethical retailer, for example, or, you know, on the other hand, being open to staying in the wholesale market only um, is interesting. I mean, it, it indicates, I think, Giles, that uh, the sort of thinking around how the SEC will participate in the market is still at very early stages. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of challenges on a range of levels and, and certainly feedback that we're hearing from, um, you know, clients and, and participants in the market is, you know, is a desire to sort of really understand what the parameters are going to be. Um, yeah, as, as, well, that's right. as that, been... that's, that's, the big, that's the big unknown, isn't it, in the, in the energy market? They hate uncertainty. Um, you know, there used to be this sort of... Uh, Used to be this sort of old adage about confusion as profit, but that's kind of when they knew the know the rules behind the scenes. But uh, with the SEC, they're not really too sure what the rules will look like behind the scenes. Yeah, I think that's you know I think that's right. And while Victoria, I think the numbers were over twenty gigawatts of of new build to reach the ninety five percent renewable energy target, and the SEC sort of target was four point five gigawatts. I mean that's you know, both of those numbers are large and and that sort of 20% sort of figure from the SEC does mean that it's going to be looking at huge numbers of projects and in conversations with lots of participants, I expect, to, to get anywhere near those numbers. And so, you know, that's a challenge, I think, when you've, you know, you've got a government player for the first time that's back active in the market in this state um, yeah. in terms of, you know, just concern about competitive neutrality, I think, and the extent to which it might reduce private investment? I would have thought it would have been more sort of greasing the wheels in the same way that the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. I sort of, I'm, I'm, I kind of imagine it from a, um, a generation in, in project investment point of view as almost like a co-investor or providing debt or equity to sort of help smooth projects in the same way that sort of a re, um, the CFC has been doing on a national scale. I guess for me, I mean, look, maybe project developers don't don't like that. Maybe they, they don't want that. But um, I would have thought the big uncertainty might have been about its role in the, in the retail market because that's kind of where that sort of competitive competitive uncertainty and what sort of role they what what prices they will be setting and and it kind of seems to me about the way they're thinking about these things is you know that's that's kind of the problem they want to solve is to make sure that you know, the public's got someone they can turn to where they think. They can have more confidence in getting a fair deal, and if they're doing that, then that might kind of upset the apple cart in the way that the generators and retailers are imagining their business. It, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the the comments that the minister did made did make in in terms of that didn't indicate that they were planning on direct retailing, um, setting up a you know, I think Momentum's owned by Hydro Tasmania, for example, there there wasn't a suggestion necessarily that they would they would do that. It was more, I think the phrase that was used was partnering with an ethical retailer. Um, and so that didn't sound to me, Giles, like they were contemplating a, you know, a full entry into the retail market, which I think would, mm. you know, generate the concerns that you articulated. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what that partnering might look like. Um, briefly, before we wrap up, is there anything else that caught your eye from the interview? Um, no, I mean, I think challenges, you know, on a few fronts um, in terms of, 
in terms of um, just the timeframes to, to scale up and achieve what Victoria would like to, Giles? I think, you know, great to see things like the clean energy vocational major at, you know, at, at sort of the latter years of secondary school. I think those things are all, you know, actually very positive steps in terms of broadening general understanding in the education system and community about clean energy and what it is and what skills go into it. I think those things are exciting, um, but they've got really long lead times, um, just like the offshore wind projects that we're seeing and, you know, increasing the skills base and trying to deal with some of the supply chain challenges. So, you know, for mine, I think it'll, it'll just be very interesting to see what, um, you know, what they can achieve in the next 12 months that's concrete, um, given you know, the really nascent stage of a whole range of these ideas, which, you know, a number of which we only heard about very shortly before the state election last November. Well, a lot to unpack and a lot to evolve in, in front of our eyes, and we should learn more in the coming months, um, particularly six and 12 months, because um, if we're going to reach the targets that the Minister was talking about, then we need to get cracking, of course, um, not just with new project developments, but... Um, also the confirmation of the new market rules and of course the infrastructure and um, there was the mention about some of the key transmission lines like BNI West um, which are being put into practice. But Carly, thank you very much for your contribution um, to this final podcast in the Energy Transform series. Thanks very much, Charles. Great to speak with you. And uh, that was Kylie uh, Lane. She's a partner with ASHA specialising in mergers and acquisitions and the energy space. Thanks to Ashurst also for the sponsorship of this series. It's been a very excellent series over the last 12 months. Uh, we've had four different webcasts, as mentioned before, about um, you know the race to net zero, getting green finance, the rewrite of the national energy market rules, raising green capital, and a series of podcasts as well. So um, don't forget to check on the back catalogue if you want to catch up with some of those ones. Um, thanks also to our producers. Thanks to all the guests that have partaken in this series. And um, please do check out our other regular podcasts, the uh, Solar Insiders, uh, the Driven Podcast, Focus on Electric Vehicles, and, and of course, the Weekly Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>